Today on the Missions Podcast, Nick Ripkin, author of The Insanity of God, joins us to talk about persecution, Ukraine, what's happening in the world, and what believers marginalized in the West can learn. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Advancement with ABWE, joined by my co-host, Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Well, as we're recording this here today, we're not supposed to date ourselves. We're not supposed to say when we're recording. That's bad form in the podcasting world, but it's hard not to recognize, Scott, we were just talking about this before we went on the air, that we're recording today on the day that Russia has announced its invasion of the Ukraine. And we're sort of wrestling through the implications of that for the missionaries, for the ABWE workers there, for others that have been a part of that. We just had the privilege recently of, of talking to our good friend, Caleb Suko. Uh, and uh, following what's happening with him and his family. We just recorded that not that long ago as well. And so, you know, we're, we're coming into the show with, with heavy hearts. And regardless of when you're listening to this, when you're stumbling upon this content, whether it's in the year 2022 or many years into the future, uh, we just want to apologize on the front end that we don't have any lighthearted way of sort of easing into the discussion today, do we, Scott? No, we don't. And in fact, you know, in some ways, even though this was organized and planned long before we knew this was going to happen, I think the topic is is really relevant. Um, we're excited to have with us um, someone who's pretty well known uh, in the mission world and in the Christian church, uh, Nick Ripkin. Not only was he a missionary for 35 years serving in Islamic contexts, uh, South Africa, Kenya, Malawi, Kenya, Somalia, also just has visited and ministered in over, I think the last account that I read was 86 different countries, um, but really um, has done a lot of, of work and thinking about suffering and persecution and how God is working in those in those situations. So I think it's really appropriate as we think of our friends, um, not just in Ukraine, also in uh, even in Russia uh, and the Christians that we know in Russia and Georgia and the other places. But particularly today, the Ukraine, knowing there's a lot of Christians there, a lot of strong church presence, a lot of mission work out of the Ukraine and our hearts are heavy with them. So, Nick, mm-hmm. uh, we're glad that you're with us today, and I think it's in God's timing. Uh, welcome, and we're glad you could join our show. Thank you, gentlemen. This is a real treat. Well, those who are not familiar with your book and the movie that came out, or any, I guess you've written more than one book, uh, either The Insanity of God or The Insanity of Obedience, uh, can you just give our listeners a little bit of a background of the events that started that? Because it was very personal for you as as you were dealing with some very personal family tragedy that caused you to really think deeply about God's hand in all of this stuff. Could you just share a little bit of that with our listeners? Certainly. What preceded that was in all of my uh, education, bachelor's, master's, doctorate. Uh, Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And uh, everything I had was taught me to be sheep among sheep. Hmm. So when we got to Somalia, when our 16-year-old son died of an asthma attack on Easter Sunday morning, as we were getting kicked out, and Ruth's mother died uh, at the same time, that was very, very difficult. But really, what preceded the insanity of God was the fact that we watched over 150 believers in Somalia reduced to four And I had no tools. I had no way of thinking 
outside of a Bible that I was taught in past tense of how to deal where the wolves were in the majority. And so what, what preceded the insanity of God was just going to believers in persecution and sitting at their feet and asking them, begging them, teach us how not only to survive in persecution, but how to thrive in persecution. And, and that's the journey that we've been on that led to the insanity of God, which, you know, is a book of inspiration, and the insanity of obedience, which is a book of perspiration, of how to be smart sheep among the wolves. But really, those books came out of our brokenness of not knowing uh, how to work in places where persecution was the norm. Mm. Well, Scott and I were talking before we got on the air. We really don't have a great idea of what persecution means. We we have pretty comfortable existence. Now, things are changing, but we have pretty easy lives. One of the things that you talk about in the book, which I have here, is what it means to stay in the story. So unpack that idea for us and why it matters. It deals with the whole issue of persecution. It's just that when bad times come, even in a place that's seemingly as easy to live in America, the loss of a child, loss of a marriage, loss of a job, or just life is life, and they just walk out of the story of God. And what Ruth and I are finding is that when those tough times come and Satan really comes after you, that's not the time to exit, quit, go home, just stop your spiritual journey. You want to stay into God's story until you get to his ending of it. And so that's what thrills me about the scriptures is how the people in those stories stayed with God, stayed with Jesus until God took them up into heaven. Our people exit God's story at the least little bit of resistance. <laughs> that's so true. And I feel it. I feel it when I have a bad night's sleep. I kind of want to exit God's story for that day, at least. And uh, we've had conversations like this before, you know, dealing with people that are in very difficult contexts and not just going through their own personal crises, but actually fa facing physical governmental persecution. And I, I just want to know, especially as people are thinking through this and maybe even a little concerned about what the future might hold for them. Are there things about God that you only can find out through the midst of suffering and persecution as you've sat with believers in their pain, as you've gone through pain yourself, what have you found about God that you want people to know and be encouraged by and make sure that they keep holding on that they can face difficulty in the future? Well, there's good news and really tough news. The good news is that God and his word is they're sufficient. And if you read the Bible, what they taught me in the Ukraine and what they taught me in the former Soviet Union. In the Ukraine, I sat with a bunch of evangelists and said, why haven't you written this stuff? Why haven't you made movies of it? And, and they said to me, Nick, when did you stop reading your Bible? And I said, I read it this morning. And one of those guys got in my face and he said, I don't believe you've ever read the word of God because all of our stories are in his book. And if you've read his book, you've read our stories. And I think your listeners have a big, big challenge is that the way that we stay in God's story and we understand persecution is by going to Jerusalem, going to Judea, going to Samaria, 
and gone to the ends of the earth, and therefore we know the total story of God. We know the fight between good and evil. And, and so what we're doing, we're cheating ourselves because Jesus commanded us to go and we're staying home. And a lot of times people ask me of how they can change the government in America or other countries. And I say about my own country, you know what? You get the country you deserve. You get the country that you pray for and that you witness to. And sometimes you need to stop whining and start witnessing. I like that answer. Let's drill deeper on that. And then I want to zoom out and talk about persecution that's happening around the globe and what you're seeing right now. But let's drill in on that because I, I love how you unpack that, right? It's it's not as though everything's going hunky-dory in the West. Uh, it would be wrong to claim that. But people do get the government that they deserve, right? Uh, isn't there the, the Calvin quote that's at least attributed to him that, that God gives the, the people what they deserve, uh, that he gives them bad leaders if, if they're in sin, those sorts of things. Of course, I'm butchering that quote, but the idea being there that that we do talk and think about persecution a little bit more in the West right now, at least than, than lately. Now, we're not seeing loss of life. We're not seeing war about to break out. We're not seeing those sorts of things, but it is getting harder to be a, a biblical Christian in certain ways, depending where you are in the country. Uh, and Scott and I joke about this back and forth. He's in California. I'm in Pennsylvania. There's different dynamics even at play within the country. But what are you seeing and what is your word to Christians in North America? It's going to be a little bit of a repeat. Uh, just for a background, about eight years ago, Ruth and I, as we came back and forth our country of origin, and we decided 60% of our time, we would spend it in the most unreached parts of America, California, the Dakotas, Salt Lake City all up and down the northeast coast of, a, of America. And what I learned from the believers in Russia and Ukraine and, and all these other countries is that the Bible does not ever suggest that we be partners with government. I think that is diametrically opposed to the Word of God. Again, 95% uh, of the evangelical Christians, it's reported, have never shared Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Starts with revival, revival or bust. And we have to keep pushing in that, in that regard. I'm not really, you know, trying to get you guys to agree with me or anything, but Ruth and I changed about five or six years ago. We, we were coming back and forth here training people and we would stand before the body of Christ and think, well, we're like field generals and we give people their marching orders. And then as we listen to them, carefully loved on them, but we realized that the majority of people we were speaking to do not have a personal relationship with Christ. They might have prayed a prayer sometime back when they were a child. And so what we do when we're standing before the body of Christ, we want to be winsome. We want to be Christ-like. We want to make sure they understand what it means to belong to Christ, to be in Christ, to be sold out for Him. And then when we get in smaller groups that are interested in in the Acts 1-8 command of God, then we go deeper and, and we go with a, a clearer, sharper word. And, and uh, I honestly am one that believes that we're living in a, a Christian influence country, not a Christian country, not compared to some of the places we've been. Do you think that that perspective of seeing yourself as a witness as opposed to just a Christian just trying to live their life and not really seeing their responsibility to share the gospel causes sometimes Americans to see persecution 
uh, behind every bush because they're not really engaging in the in the activity of of sharing their faith and being active in, in sharing the gospel. Do you think that somehow that affects people uh, in, in even their own impressions of what's going on to themselves spiritually? I certainly do. I mean, I have a special love for former Soviet Union and Ukraine, and I've been watching what President Putin's been doing all along, and he's gone back to the bad old days, uh, restricting witness, telling you, you know, like in the old days, you, you play soccer on a soccer field, you do uh, religion in your church, so go in your church and close the doors, but don't let me catch you uh, doing house church. Don't let me find you witnessing in the streets. When you find out what the persecutors don't want you to do, that's what you want to do. And if they're trying to make you go right, go left. And and this thing in Russia has been building for so long. And uh, you've got a, a Nero, you've got a pilot, you've got a Caesar that just right. feels like unless they're the center of human history. And so this is something that's been building for a long time. And um, they've kicked missionaries out of Russia by the thousands. And so Ukraine is an extension of what uh, Putin has said. The biggest disaster in our century is the dissolution of the Soviet Union. But to the extent of witness inside of those political arenas, that's where we really do want to be concerned. So talk to us about what you're currently seeing, not, not just in the Ukraine and Russia, although you can continue to expound upon that, but your area of expertise, especially is the Middle East, you've spent time in Somalia, plenty of other places. What are you seeing globally right now in terms of persecution? Is it worsening? Is it getting better? Where, where should we look? What, what are you seeing? And is that, is that changing right now versus 10 years ago when you wrote this book? It's not getting better. Part of this is our research is so much um, more clear and we can trap unengaged peoples and we can talk about that 2.8 to 3 billion people that have no access to God, no access to Jesus. And by the way, let me insert something here that uh, is from the depths of my heart. The worst persecution on the planet is to have no access to Jesus. And it doesn't lessen the physical or psychological persecutions that come. But the reason why our brothers and sisters are persecuted is two things. One, they gave their life to Christ. And two, they refuse to, you know, keeping to themselves. And they share with their neighbor at work. And so they're persecuted. You know what? You, you can give your life to Jesus theoretically in Saudi Arabia, North Korea. And if you don't tell your father, your mother, your family, your friends about it, guess what? You probably can die in your sleep of an old age. It is at the point of witness, sharing your faith is the difference between persecution and no persecution. Mm. It's not our government. It's not our laws. And so when I identify with my brothers and sisters in chains is when I give my life to Christ and share Christ with others. But when I fail to share my faith with others, I identify with those who chain them. By not sharing my faith, I persecute people unto eternity. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a strong prophetic word. <laughs> I wish it was mine. <laughs> that is a strong word. 
and um, it's rebuking. And, and I think it should be important for us who are listening that maybe you you feel persecuted because you've got to do something you don't want to do or you feel like there's a political situation that you're not happy with. Um, that isn't persecution. Persecution comes because, like what you just said, Nick, giving your life to Jesus Christ and not sh- not keeping it to yourself. And there is the real potential that there will be persecution for that. But that is what we're talking about, not just about being asked to do something you don't feel comfortable with. In the classical sense of persecution, I feel that 70% of believers practicing their faith, now that means that they're sharing their faith, mm-hmm. they live in persecution. So if you're, if you're looking for normal Christianity, you're looking for faith that is lived out where there's physical and psychological, life-threatening persecution on a daily basis. And that doesn't count the people that have absolutely no access to the kingdom of God, who after 2,000 years of Christianity are the most persecuted against. That's on us. Nick, let me ask you a question here, too. I, I think that there's there's different tensions and there's different Christian approaches to what do we expect to happen out of history? What do we expect to happen before Christ's return? And on the one hand, we can look at our decadence in the West and say, boy, we really just, we're spoiled. We're, we're fat and happy. I am, right? You know, we, we don't understand it. Yet at the, the same time, we can also give thanks to God. The gospel has prevailed in certain cultures and countries historically, and it's led to wide-scale peace for the Christian church in the West for a period of time, not without difficulty, but much of that is because of the progress of missionary labels, labors. Rather, How should we think about that? Can we rejoice uh, in our sufferings, but also rejoice in our comfort in the sense that, you know, that that's a gift from God, but it, it's also, uh, you, you have the old saying from, from Cotton Mather, right, that obedience begets blessing and the daughter devours the mother sort of that same idea that, that the, the kingdom might grow and expand and there might be peace for Christians in a certain sense in a certain place, uh, but then that comes back to bite us because we become indifferent. How do you approach those things? I um, sat with a guy for two days. Now, a normal interview for me was three to four hours, so to be with this guy for two days, you can imagine how exceptional he was. And after the end of those two days, he looked at me and he said, Nick, I give great Uh, thanks to God, uh, that I was in prison in my country so that you would be free to share Christ in your country, to witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he leaned across the table and all but poked me in the chest. And he said, he said, son, don't you steal my joy? I took great joy that I was suffering for Jesus in prison in my country. And he made it personal so that you could mm. find Jesus in Kentucky. And that mm. really uh, stuck a knife that needed to be stuck and lanced an abscess that was in my heart. Because mm. what, we, we, what we don't want to say is that to have a great Christian experience is necessitated by the resources that God put in America long before we were even here. Explain that last phrase, that last statement that you made. Unpack that. The, the resources that God put here, you're, you're saying we don't want to say that's necessary or, or you do. For the, for the sake of the listeners, I want to unpack that. I'm not sure we followed that last part. We seem to equate God's favor and the greatness of America 
Right. Because we're such a rich nation and because we have so many resources and, and we have so much power in the world, and yet all of those resources, at least, and of course, they were undeveloped, were here uh, long before the, the first settlers came. And so we've developed those resources and maybe, in a sense, harnessed those resources, but our faith in God is not affected by whether you live in Russia or whether you live in America, because it's based upon your obedience, not your resources. Mm. Right, right. We don't need those things to be faithful. No, that's a that's a good and it's a timely word. Um, Scott, you're gonna have to talk because I'm just I'm I'm in pain here. Uh, the conviction is <laughs> <laughs> it's serious. First time I went to China, and I was shocked to be uh, in a compound out at. 18 hours somewhere, and there was 150 Chinese leaders in that compound, and they immediately told me, after asking me, Nick, has Jesus made it to other countries, or has he just made it to China so far? Wow, what a bamboo curtain. When I shared them about faith in our country and others, they just, they had a party. They just danced and praised God, and then they asked, uh, since Jesus has made it to other countries, are they persecuted like us? Forty percent, they said, of all of our leaders, men and women, old, young, highly educated, oral communicators, pastors, deacons, elders, evangelists, 40 percent of us at any one time are in prison for four years. And they said, Nick, prison now in China is our theological seminary. And they said, now that you're in China, how many degrees would you like to get? And I said, I'm good. You know, my wife and children miss me. And I had talked to him for a day in another location. He came out from behind a tree and he told me, you can't trust that young man. I said, is he, is he a Judas? Is he a plant from the government? And he laughed and said, don't be foolish, Nick. He's a really good young man. He's just not ready to lead. He hasn't been to prison yet. And I said to them, now, you've got to be careful, because I saw this in the Soviet Union in another issue. What if they stop, to, they stop arresting you? What if they get smart? How are you going to choose your leaders then? And they looked at each other and said, oh, my goodness, we haven't even thought about that. Well, persecution changes, and you've got to be able to adapt and change with it. It's easy, you know, to... To, on the one hand, say the only way to be spiritual is to suffer, which you're not saying that, and it isn't what the Word of God is saying. But on the other hand, what we do run into a lot in America is the Christians who say, I can't be in this church and grow in Jesus because the youth group doesn't have all the games that my kid needs. Or I wish that we had you know, X, Y, or Z that maybe only wealth could bring. And yet we see the joy and even how Christ is enough. I, I, one story I, I can remember sitting in my, in my living room and this is, this was in Western China and a, a young Kazakh Christian uh, from the far West who he came to Christ and um, it wasn't the government that was persecuting him. It was his family and he'd be walking down the street and, and his brothers or cousins would grab him and bring him in and beat him and, try to force him to deny Christ and uh, he would be broken and come back out and keep preaching. I, I know of another believer uh, from another Middle Eastern country and, and he had his wife kidnapped and, and given away to someone else in marriage and, and he was beaten up. And, and yet 
he he's even more passionate than before to share that what Christ has done for him, and he loves Christ. And we see these stories, and we realize that so for some Christians in the West, what we're looking for isn't to be found in a bigger church, a better resource youth group, more resources, the uh, the fun social events that we enjoy. It it really is found in Christ. So I want to you know just give us some. You've shared a lot of your Amen. stories in the movie and in the in the book. What are some of the stories that you're hearing recently? that just inspire you and that maybe, maybe encourage our listeners to be reminded that, that when everything's stripped away, Christ is enough. It's going to be difficult if somebody hasn't read the insanity of God, but people's favorite story is about Dimitri who has been, who was in prison for 17 years, uh, no pastoral or theological training. And they put him in, in, in a prison 1,500 hardened criminals, and and they're cursing him and doing horrible things to him. And the book just details just uh, how they broke him and beat him and just the vulgar things they did to him. But the ending up of how he outlived all of that and was released. And, and I met him about six months after he had gotten out of the Soviet Union because he got out as it was falling. And his story was just everything you ever hear bad about the former Soviet Union for 70 years. He experienced it. And about two years ago, I'd heard he died. And and I can't get to most of these believers. They're, they're a moving target. They, yeah. they, you know, they change their cell phones and all kinds of things. And it's not like I can, you know, talk to the 700 people that I, I've talked to. But Dimitri's one of those that I can get on a Russian Federation website and and say I'm looking for Dimitri, give his real name, and and within 48 hours his son calls me, and, and says uh, Dad's still alive. He's laying in the bed next to me, and he gets up every morning, and his arthritis from all of his breaks is really troubling him. He can hardly stand, and and uh, he's suffering from the malnutrition and all of that. But he was told, and I've heard this so many times that your faith, your story is going to die in this prison cell. And he said, I'm alive and communist is dead. And I could just hear him laughing in the background. And we just laughed and, and I prayed for him. And, and I, I, I started in the telephone call. Now, he was in one of the worst prisons in the Soviet Union ever by himself until he led others to Christ. And that's a, also an interesting story. And I started to disconnect. And his son said, no, 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 Nick, you need to know one more thing. He said, I'm now the chaplain of the prison that held my father for 17 years. Yeah. And I said, did he think for one second in 17 mm. years that this was possible for anyone? And I could hear him in Russian yelling, yet, 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 in the background and laughing and this is part of staying into God's story that, that he was so thankful that he lived long enough to experience his son being the chaplain, sharing Christ regularly in the prison that held him for 17 years. That's what God does if you don't exit the story. Mm. What an awesome note to end on. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know, we talk about a lot of things on this show. And I like another statement that was made earlier. Uh, I don't remember if it was by you, Nick, or by you, Scott, but 
it's not as though suffering is the only way to be spiritual, but it is certainly an effective way and a neglected way. And yet it's a way that God gives to many of his children in order to uh, abide in him more deeply and richly. And Nick, we've been blessed by this conversation. How can people get a hold of what you've done if they've not read any of your books or seen the film? How can they follow you and hear more of these powerful stories, especially in these strange days that we live in? Oh, thank you for giving me a chance to share this. But as as I do this, just think about suffering this way. Suffering is not only that which is inflicted upon you, but suffering is that which I carry on behalf of my brothers and sisters. So I'm never without suffering. Uh, Jesus went to the cross for the sins of others. And while that's not what I get to do, I still can bury my brother's cross and, and his and her burden and, and not let them be alone. And, and your readers and listeners can find out this just by going uh, to nickripkin.com. You know, it's one of those www things and can find resources there, can find our calendar there. Uh, there's a, a email where they can contact us with questions or, or, or just something like this. And, and just know that I have, the three of us have more in common hmm. with a Taliban family or an Al-Qaeda family that have given their lives to Christ than we do with American family or even our cousin that does not know Jesus. One of the things we've got to do right. is get our family and our relationships right. Right. Amen, Nick. Thank you so much for sharing all of that today. We're grateful for you. And for all of you watching or listening, we're grateful for you being a part of this as well. Why don't you go ahead and share this with a friend that you think might be blessed by it? Uh, what would be a blessing to us is, number one, if you would rate, subscribe, and review the show, leave a positive review in your podcast platform of choice. That helps us get this content in front of others who can be enriched by it, edified by it. We also invite you to partner with us in support and allow us to do more to bring this content to people to help goers think and thinkers go. You can do that at missionspodcast.com slash support. And of course, as always, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE to learn more go to abwe.org. And so thank you again, Nick, for being here. Thank you all for being a part of this. And until next week, we'll see you then.